Welcome to the first episode of the podcast, A History of Literary Criticism. This week's episode is entitled, What Is? and provides some context for the rest of the series, as well as outlining some key debates and definitions. A script of the episode with references is available on the website www.ahistoryofliterarycriticism.wordpress.com Episode 1. What is? The entire history of literary criticism could be said to be a millennia-long deliberation over two questions. What is literature? And what is reading? As might be clear, no fixed answers have been determined. There are no answers to these questions, but there are broad fields which can be mapped out. And within these fields, the different positions of different literary theories can be located. Therefore, the various possible answers to these questions also provide a context to help understand the function and role of literary theory itself. What is literature? Terry Eagleton introduces his influential book on literary theory with this very question. Eagleton points out that, quote, if there is such a thing as literary theory, then it would seem obvious that there is something called literature, which it is a theory of. Unfortunately, the answer to this question is less than obvious, as Eagleton's introduction goes on to show. Some say that literature is a form of art. Others suggest it has a specific shape or form and uses specific tools. Still other critics would suggest that it evokes a specific type of feeling in the reader. Broadly speaking, most positions can be placed onto a diagram designed by M. H. Abrams in the 1953 work The Mirror and the Lamp, Romantic Theory and the Literary Tradition. Abrams's diagram is a triangle. In the centre of the triangle is the work of literature, at one point is the audience, at another the artist, and at the final point is the universe. Various definitions of literature focus on different parts of the triangle. One of the oldest understandings of literature focuses on the relationship between the work and the universe. Here, the work is a reflection of the world and literary criticism focuses on the techniques which are used to realistically depict that world. This is called mimetic theory. Craig White has argued that mimetic theory can be useful in the categorization of literature. Popular literature simplifies reality, especially its characters, settings and plots. While serious literature, White argues, reflects reality more realistically, making it more complicated and difficult to read. While these definitions are not universal, unsurprisingly, they do show how mimetic theory can be useful when trying to understand different literary genres. Secondly, didactic theory. 
In the terms of Abrams's triangle, didacticism focuses on the relationship between the work and the audience. In this understanding of literature, it was important that the work impart some knowledge to the reader, change their behaviour, or impart social norms or wisdom. This theory informs many people's approach to religious texts, for example, as well as parables. A lot of children's literature might also be didactic in function. The third definition focuses on the artist's relationship with their work. In this case, literature is defined as an outpouring of personal feelings or experiences, the feelings or experiences of the artist. This is the expressive theory. This theory became very influential during the Romantic period, around the 18th century, during which time the individual figure of the artist and their responses to nature, in particular, rose to prominence. Expressive theory could be seen to be the opposite of mimetic theory. Expressive works can be completely subjective, having abandoned any attempt to represent an objective reality in order to focus on the feelings of the author. Formalist theory disregards each point of the triangle and focuses on the work itself. In this case, literature is stylistic by definition. A work of literature must deploy specific techniques and have a specific shape or structure. This definition leads to an increased appreciation of literary aesthetics and distinguishes literature from other written forms such as newspaper articles or political writings. Some influential formalist critics in the early 20th century also attempted to identify the plot and structures which define different literary genre. While each of these positions has a different focus, the triangle developed by Abrams holds firm. The relationship between the work, audience, artist and universe is unshakable. However, these relationships were challenged in the postmodern period, roughly speaking around 1960. The focus at this time turned to a broader understanding of culture, which destabilised the relationship between a work and the various points of the triangle. Some theorists argued that works of literature, among other cultural products such as film, food and advertising, create the universe rather than reflecting it. Other theorists of the postmodern period suggested that the artist has no place in the understanding of literature, removing this point of the triangle altogether. Still further, the role of reader was problematized, replaced with a number of potential readings, such as those offered by feminist or post-colonial theorists. The influential theory of deconstruction destabilizes language altogether, completely detaching the work from all aspects of reality, be it the audience, artist or universe. By this time, the answer to the question, what is literature, had become infinitely more difficult to answer. Mm -hmm.
What is reading? With the various definitions of literature come various definitions of the act of reading. Each theory has a different understanding of the relationship between a work and the reader, and each definition places different responsibilities on the shoulders of the reader. If, following mimetic theory, a work of literature should honestly reflect the world, the responsibility of the reader is to determine how accurate is that portrayal. The reader may need to perform some historical research in order to truly appreciate the work, to judge its complexity or success. Didactic theories argue that what is important is the relationship between the work and the reader. The work should teach the reader something. In this case, no historical knowledge is necessary, but it is up to the reader to determine the message or lesson to be learnt. The reader must decipher the text. Some more historical research might be required in order to follow an expressive theory of literature. As the work is an expression of the author's feelings, those feelings should be determined in order to understand how they are expressed. In this case, to be truly informed, the reader would be required to search out biographical information, which might shed some light on the personal experiences of the artist and their responses. Formalist theory requires knowledge of the techniques which are deemed literary. This is the world of metaphors and similes, rhythm and poetic forms, the different structures and character tropes of various literary genres. Some might think that this is the primary focus of all literary criticism, as it's become particularly popular in school English classes. However, these are merely the tools needed for the application of a specific theory. The fragmentation resulting from the postmodern period similarly fractured the responsibilities for reading. Readers might draw from a broader range of sociological or political research, for example, or deploy complex linguistic tools in the case of deconstruction. Rather than limiting formal appreciation to what we understand as literary devices. An example illustrates the different approaches and their different results. Consider Elif Shafak's 2016 novel, Three Daughters of Eve. Shafak's novel moves between contemporary Istanbul and the University of Oxford in the 1980s, following the experiences of the main character, Perry. To quote the novel's description, it describes, quote, a traumatic Istanbul childhood, student years at Oxford, the rebellious professor who led Perry and best friends Shirin and Mona to question everything, Islam, love, life, even God, and the scandal that tore them all apart. Different theories and approaches to reading focus on different elements of Shafak's work. A mimetic reading would relate the novel's description of Istanbul, for example, to historical accounts. 
Is there really as much traffic as Shafak describes? More seriously, is the city torn between a fundamentalist religious loyalty and the influence of more liberal ideals? Among other possibilities, a didactic approach might focus on the emotional turmoil Perry experiences, particularly the struggles she faces reconciling her mother's religious conservatism and father's liberalism. The novel suggests that extremism in any form is damaging. Shafak herself is from Turkey and has worked at the University of Oxford, so an expressive interpretation of the text might infer her own feelings as represented in the novel in some way, or the events of the novel to be in some sense autobiographical. A formalist approach might particularly investigate the effect of the novel's fragmented narrative, and the use of flashbacks. And while the postmodern approach is difficult to define, the novel lends itself to feminist readings of female liberation or the destabilization of language, particularly in the use of Turkish words and phrases throughout the English language novel. All of these readings are rooted in the text and reveal and examine specific aspects of the text's concerns. Meanwhile, each reading focuses on its own specific aspects over others. What is literary theory? The relationship between the various theories of literature and the different forms of reading provides some clue about the role of literary theory more generally. A specific type of reading implies a specific definition of literature. This is a theory. When reading, most people have preferences to various degrees. Some readers might focus on their own personal responses to a work. Others might use the work as a window to the society in which it was produced. Some people particularly enjoy formal variation, innovation or skill, while others might become attached to the figure of the artist and their personal feelings which produced a powerful work. Theory is an articulation of these preferences, and some theorists have attempted to produce systematic and thorough explorations of the implications of each of these preferences. Regardless, it is certainly true that, whether it is known or not, all forms of reading align themselves with a particular school of theory. And this is why literary theory is so important. We are deploying these theories every time we interpret a work of whatever we define as literature. It behooves us to understand the tools that we are using what they are showing us and what they hide, to where they draw our attention and what remains in the shadows. Thank you for listening to this episode of A History of Literary Criticism. If you can, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast channel. Any feedback would be greatly appreciated. Similarly, 
If you have a suggestion of a theorist who could be included on the show, please let me know. The email address for this and anything else is a history of litcrit at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at litcritpodcast. Next week's episode will be dedicated to Plato's literary criticism. Some suggested reading is available on the website, which might be useful as preparation. Music